Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to take your seats. We actually play those videos as like a subtle way to let you know that we're starting the next thing. (laughs) And then I just go ahead and ruin the subtlety. If you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you. My name's Ian. I have the pleasure and privilege of being the pastor here. And we're going to delve into the word today. And we are in the midst of a series that we're calling not a sermon series, but a practice series called Practicing the Presence. And it's all about taking the presence of God out of the confines of an hour on a Sunday morning and into the fabric of our daily lives. How do we do that? And the the, the answer is by becoming a student of Jesus in the school of life. And to be a student of Jesus is to become like him. That's the point. To be an apprentice of Jesus is the the goal of becoming like him. And we do that by following him in his overall pattern of life, his habit of life. 1 John 2 says, By this we know we are in him. Whoever claims to abide in him must walk as Jesus walked. As Dallas Willard said in the classic book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, he says, if we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live and that we can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the type of activities that he engaged in. By arranging our whole lives around those activities, he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of God. That's our goal, and that's why we've been looking at these habits and practices from the life of Jesus. Three habits that we observe in Jesus' own life that we've been looking at for four weeks each. And so we began by looking at uh, Sabbath rest, and we moved into four weeks looking at prayer. And the whole, the, the thrust of all this is to get us practicing exercises every single week in the midst of a fellowship of other students. And so I I mention this every week because it's so important. Just absorbing these messages on a Sunday is not going to produce a terrible amount of transformation because information does not equal transformation. You have to take the information and apply it, live it. And the best way to do that is with other people around you who are seeking to live it out together, all right? And so we've been encouraging everyone to join practice groups that are meeting in homes, in, in, in each of our church campus buildings, and, and various other places. And so if you haven't joined one, I'll say again, today's a great day to join one because we're starting our third and final of three practices. And We're going to get into this today as we follow on from where we left off in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And it's the the very well-known Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. But there's actually several spiritual 
habits that we see that Jesus teaches on in the, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to carry on from what he says directly after his teaching on prayer in verse 16. So 16 through 18, it'll come up on the screen for you to follow with me if you, and you can open up your Bible to this as well. So Jesus says, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 16, and when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's word. So Holy Spirit, come and teach us, come and ignite a hunger for you today as we talk about fasting. Amen. So Jesus practiced Sabbath, Jesus prayed and taught us how to pray, and Jesus fasted. In fact, he began his ministry with a 40-day fast in the desert. And you noticed in that the first words of what we just read, as Jesus is teaching his disciples about fasting, he says, when you fast, so he's assuming that his disciples fast. He doesn't say if you fast, but when you fast. And so, okay, even before I get any further in this, I just want to give fair warning. And what I'm about to say is going to cause one or two of you to, to judge me. Okay? So if you, if you ate your judgy flakes today, this will be another tasty bite. All right? <laughs> Fasting is not my favorite discipline. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a semi-foodie type person. So I'm just going to be real with you guys. I, I, I don't like fasting. <laughs> and may, there might be one or two of us here that feel the same. And, and quite honestly, because of that, I've not done a huge amount of voluntary fasting in my life. And the little that I have done, I can't say has been particularly pleasant. And so, if you're a little bit like me, and fasting has not been a big feature of your spiritual walk so far, we're in this together today, and for these next few weeks. And for those of you that do have this down as part of your rhythm, or, or whether that's personally or culturally or part of your family background, then I salute you, and I will be learning from you, and that's why we, we do these things in community, because each of us has different strengths and gifts to offer each other. And so though, for those of us who are weak in this practice, we can learn from lots of people that are uh, more practiced in this particular thing. But it, this is the, the kind of challenge that I want to give to us just on that note, even as I'm starting with that little bit of, you know, reality to do with this. When we did our fasting, sorry, our Sabbath practice, who found that hard? Four of you, five, six. Okay, I, I know there was more of you because you've told me. <laughs> Sabbath 
learning how to actually stop and rest and be in the presence of God as, as an act of worship is actually difficult in our modern world. So some of us found that difficult. Some of us found it easy. For some of us, prayer and, and, and spending you know, a regular time daily was a challenge and, and is a challenge. For others, it's easy. For others of us, fasting might be an easy thing. But for others, it's going to be hard. All right, so my question here is, so what do we do with the practices that we find really difficult? Now, I want to suggest if a particular practice is particularly difficult for you, it may just mean that you particularly need it. It may not mean that it's unreasonable or that it's impossible or that, you know, how dare the pastor ask me to do this. It might be an indication that this is an area that the Holy Spirit wants to do something in you with and shape you with. And so if you attempt to discipline and it's easy and you only do the ones that are easy, then it might be that you're not actually getting the formation in the areas that you most need formation. It's kind of like if you go to the gym and, you know, you know, maybe you're like a really serious gym person and you go to the gym and you, and you do the same three exercises every time you go. Right? Say, you, know, you do your arms, you do your back, and you do like some core stuff or whatever. Right? And that's all you do every single time. If you go in the next day and all of a sudden you try and work on your legs, it's going to be harder because you're weaker in that area. And so it's not an indication that you shouldn't be doing that. It's an indication that actually you need to exercise that muscle a little more. Right? And so my, my conviction on, on coming into this thing of, of, of fasting is I've been skipping leg day. <laughs> and so I have a, a feeling that a, a few of us may also be in that same boat. All right. Um, so this is my first, I, I've actually, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on fasting. I've certainly never preached one. For teaching on it, but not a, a sermon on it. So we're, we're, we're kind of in the same boat. And I want to tell you, like, I'm really excited getting into this because I've, as I've been studying this, I'm excited to find out from Jesus because he, he, there's a promise attached to it. He says, when you do this, when you fast before your father who's in secret, he will reward you. And so this is not a commandment. We're never commanded in the New Testament to fast. This is an offer of a gift, something that Jesus has for us in this discipline. So I've called this message Training for the Soul. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the history of fasting, the purpose of fasting, and the power of fasting. All right, so first of all, the history of fasting. Now, if fasting is not a big part of your life, you're not alone because it's, this is not a big feature of the majority of Christians in the Western world. But it used to be. It used to be a core feature of global Christianity, and in most places around the world, most Christians still have this as a central part of their, their walk of faith. In fact, fasting is one of the most ancient and universal spiritual practices across the board. And the Bible is full of fasting, 
So the first mention of fasting in scripture is when Moses is about to receive the Ten Commandments in Exodus 34. He fasts for 80 days, which is amazing and miraculous. And actually, apparently, this is the first mention of fasting as a spiritual practice in recorded history. And so Moses fasted. When the people of Israel were called to repent before God in the Day of Atonement in Leviticus, they were told to deny themselves and fast. When Hannah finds herself barren, longing for a child, she fasts. When the Ark of the Covenant is taken from the people and and Israel is, is in mourning, Samuel calls the people to fast. When King David's child becomes ill, he fasts and prays that the child will get better. When Elijah is trying to escape Jezebel, he fasts. When Queen Esther has to go into the king at risk of her life to plead on behalf of her people, she asks the whole people to fast for three days. When Daniel is looking for the interpretation of a dream, he fasts. When the Apostle Paul is converted, he takes time and he fasts. When Paul and Barnabas are going to be sent on the first missionary journey into the the Greek-speaking world to spread the good news, they fast. And if you move into Christian history beyond the writing of the New Testament, you see that this has been part of church history from the very beginning. All of the church fathers uh, taught on, on, on fasting. The monastic movement was known for fasting. Uh, We see Christian communities in all branches of the church, the Eastern, the Western church, um, fasting historically for two days a week. And then for extended periods through the year, through Lent, through Advent. And actually, it's not only Christians that are in on this. Every single major religious tradition in the world practices fasting. And we'll get back to the implications of that. If you have any, any Muslim friends, you know during Ramadan, they fast for an entire month. And so my point is, okay, this is, this is all the way through scripture. If we're not practicing this, could it be that we might be missing out on something? And one issue that we have is that we've, we've kind of diluted the word. Now, I'm guilty of this as well. Because I like the sound of, I'm fasting sugar for Lent more than I'm fasting food altogether for Lent. <laughs> All right? So I have done this too. But, but in just studying on this, it seems to really only be Christians that, that are a little bit confused as to the meaning of this word. You know, if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, come for your blood test in a fasted state right? She doesn't mean stay off social media for a couple days. She doesn't mean don't drink coffee. (laughs) We know what it means. It means don't eat food, all right? And so my, my very simple point is that fasting means not eating food for a period of time, okay? If you're taking notes, make sure you get that one down. This is deep stuff, all right? <laughs> now, okay, now, all those other things are very beneficial, they're very good, but, but really we should distinguish them a little bit because they're not so much what historically has been called fasting. Those are actually practices of abstinence. I'm abstaining from sugar or coffee or social media or whatever. 
Historically, fasting really just means one thing. It means not eating food and not even certain types of food. So really the Daniel fast is a little bit of a misnomer, although I'm grateful for the Daniel fast because that is how I discovered Lebanese food. And it is a beautiful gift direct from the throne room of heaven. See, I'm talking about fasting and then talking about food. You see, this is why the Lord has a work to do in me on this, but okay. So <laughs> why, why have we gotten confused about the meaning of the word? Well, I think part of it is a reaction against some of the hyper-religious way that, that, that we've seen this practiced over, you know, historically. And so there's a bit of a reaction to that to say, well, you can, you can abstain from other things and have the same benefit. But fasting just means not eating, and it can be for all kinds of different reasons. Actually, you probably hear more about fasting from, you know, health and dieting gurus today than we do within the church. There's a thing that always pops. I don't know why they think I want to know this, but on my social media feeds, every single day, it's like intermittent fasting. You know, lose weight. I'm like, what are you trying to... (laughs) But it's, um, it's a popular thing, Um, But what does it mean to give up food spiritually, as a spiritual uh, practice? Why would someone want to do that? Because Jesus warns us that there are wrong reasons to do this as well. And what we read there, he says, don't do it like the hypocrites do it. Don't do it because you think it's going to make you better than other people. Don't do it because... Other people are going to see you and say, wow, she's really holy, you know? And don't do it because you think that by doing it, God is going to give you what you want. As if, think of how dumb this thought is. I'm going to not eat something, and if I don't eat it, God has to do what I want him to do. Why would God need to do something simply because you didn't eat something, right? It doesn't make sense. And yet sometimes there's a little bit of a, a mentality that, that somehow if I fast, I'm, I can, I can kind of twist God's arm a little bit, right? Now, Jesus says, if those things are your motivation, you're missing the true gift. So it brings us to the purpose of fasting, All right, As modern people, we've talked about this earlier in the, in the series, we have this propensity to separate the spiritual and the physical, we kind of think, we, we put primacy on the mind, so we kind of think of ourselves as brains on sticks. And even if you believe in the spiritual, we still, because of that mentality and the way it's conditioned us, we still struggle to see how the physical world could make an impact on the non-physical or the spiritual world. Because we see them as separate things. And so, I want to bring those things back together for us. And this is the discipline that does this most powerfully. All right? So think about it like this. We all know that what you eat can have an impact on your emotions, right? That's why when you don't eat, sometimes you can experience hanger, right? So what that is, is a, a physical thing impacting an immaterial thing, a non-physical thing, which are your emotions. And so, at the same, in the same way, think about it like this. 
Fasting is something that we do in the body that actually impacts the soul. All right? And so the reason for this is that our humanity is both physical and non-physical. God made human beings as both material and immaterial. All right? So what this means is that the body is not something you have, it's something you are. You are a body. Your spirit is not just something that you have that is kind of like, you know, contained within your body. No, you are a body. You are spirit. Together, we are integrated beings. We are body and spirit. And so everything that we think of as just bodily is also spiritual. Everything that we just think of as spiritual is also done in the body. And so the way I like to think of this is that, okay, so what is the soul in that? I like to think of the soul as kind of the overlap between the two. It's kind of the non-physical part of you um, that is not your body, not your spirit. It's kind of the overlap between the two. So, so think about it like this. Your body is what occupies physical space. Your spirit is what communes with God, and your soul is that non-physical part of who you are that is your mind, your will, and emotions. And so the, the, the three New Testament terms that describe these things are soma, which is body. That's where we get somatic practice from. Then there's the word psyche, which is soul, translated soul. And then we have pneuma, which is translated spirit. And so you're... An easy way to think about this, maybe, is your, your, your soma is what you go see the medical doctor for. Your psyche is what you see the psychologist about. And your spirit, maybe, is what you see your pastor about. <laughs> and so, in a way, it's a little bit artificial to separate between the things, because like I said, we're integrated. So even though we can distinguish these parts of our humanity, we can't ever separate them out fully, because we're united, and so the impact of this, because we are integrated, spirit, soul, body, it means that each of those three, when it's impacted, it impacts the other ones, All right? And so that's why sometimes when you are physically weak and tired and, 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 and physically exhausted, it impacts your soul, it impacts your spirit. When you're well-rested, all of a sudden, you see how there's, there's this interplay, what is good for the body is also good for soul and spirit. What's good for soul and spirit is also good for the body. For instance, if you're holding on to all sorts of anger and bitterness, we even know scientifically that that affects your physical biology. And so the purpose of fasting, all right, different disciplines, we've looked at, we've looked at Sabbath rest, we've looked at prayer, now fasting. Well, different disciplines in the spiritual life are aimed at different parts of our humanity, okay? So they're aimed at forming specific areas of your humanity. And again, not exclusively because we're, we're integrated, but primarily. So if you think about it like this, if Sabbath was about resting your, your body, not stopping from work, and prayer was about communing with God, spirit to spirit, fasting is targeted to your soul. 
Fasting is targeted to your soul. So fasting is a bodily discipline for training the soul. All right, and why do I say that? Because every time, not every, maybe not every time, I, I didn't read the entire Bible in, in searching for this, but when fasting is mentioned most times in Scripture, it's, it's, it's mentioned with reference to the soul, specifically. All right, so Leviticus 16, 29, God commands the people of Israel to fast on the Day of Atonement, and it says specifically to afflict your soul. Psalm 35, 13, uh, King David says, I afflicted my soul with fasting. Psalm 69.10 says, I humbled my soul with fasting. And so throughout Christian history, this has been tied to a set of practices that have been called ascetic practices. And it's a word that comes from the, the normal Greek word for training. So a Greek athlete would do ascetic practices training athletically. And so in Christian history, this was an ascetic practice for training the soul. And so when we bring this, this picture together biblically and the, the purpose of it, we see that fasting trains the soul in humility. It's kind of like a way to offer ourselves to Jesus in the way that Romans 12.1 says, as a living sacrifice. Offer the whole of yourself as a living sacrifice sacrifice. And of all the spiritual disciplines, this is probably the most embodied, the most physical. But what it is, is a way of suppressing the physical, suppressing our bodies, suppressing our wants and needs in order to work on the soul. All right. And so that leads us to the last thing, which is the power of fasting. And fasting is, is this incredible, powerful practice at all sorts of levels. And I mentioned, you know, the, the whole dieting thing. Just at the physical level, fasting is incredibly impactful for health, for, for fitness, for losing weight and all that stuff. And so th- that's, that is a part of it. But I love the phrase, if you, if you listen to this week's episode of the Rule of Life podcast that accompanies each of these weeks that we're going through, it's, it's really good. I, I recommend that if you have time, you listen to podcasts. There's a phrase in there that so caught my attention to differentiate it from, from dieting. Okay, so here's the phrase. Dieting changes the way you look. Fasting changes the way you see. It changes the way you see. And I want to... In- this is, the, this is the point I really want you to, to come away with here in terms of the power of what fasting does in our souls. The guest on this week's podcast episode was Zimbabwean pastor Reward Sebanda. And uh, Reward, by the way, is probably, it's just a great African name. I love that. I so appreciated his perspective that he shared in the, in the, in the podcast because, like I said, in, the, in the, the Western world, we're so, we struggle so much to, to really live in the reality of the spiritual. And so this is one of the things where the majority world brothers and sisters that we have in Christ can really teach us because one of the things he gets into is that for most people around the world, they are far more attuned to the reality of the spiritual than people in the West. They're far more open to it and, and you know, take it for granted that this is just as real as the physical. 
And I was reminded of this last week at our network conference. I was with our missionary, Sharon Malcolm, who was, was here recently. And Sharon does pioneer work in, in, the, in the Amazon in Peru. And I was asking her, we shared a ride to the, the one session at the conference. And, you know, the conference is... People go to conferences for training and, you know, practical stuff. And, and so we're, we're on the way there. And I said, you know, what, what are some of the challenges you're facing in Peru? Like, what are, what are some of the biggest things you're, you're trying to learn? And she's like, well, my biggest challenge right now is how can, how, how can I convince my leaders to stop going to the medicine men and the, and the, the witch doctors? And I thought, wow, that's, that's a different set of problems. You ask an American church pastor, you know, what are your problems? They're going to talk about, you know, political division or like consumerism or, you know. uh, She talked about her greatest need being the ability to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit as being more powerful than the demonic spirits. And so the reason, and I I was intrigued I said, well, you know, when they go, why do they keep going? And it was, she said, well, because they get results. <laughs> Things happen. And so the, the challenge for her and the, 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 is demonstrating that the Holy Spirit is actually more powerful, more reliable, more. And so it, it really, it was, it was just an amazing thing to hear her talk about. But here's one of the things, and, and in the podcast they get into this, is that, did you know that many times when people go to visit a traditional healer, medicine man, witch doctor, whatever you call it, often they are required beforehand to fast. Fast for several days before you come see me. Why do they do that? And the reason is this. Fasting suppresses the soul through the body in order to focus the spirit. And this can be done, it, it opens you to the spirit, to the spiritual realm, for good or for bad. It focuses your spirit. And so you actually, you see this in scripture, and this, this just, this blew my mind. One of the things you notice in scripture is, you know, people are going to these, these traditional healers because they, they, they're looking for something to happen. It's usually a crisis situation or something that they, they want fixed. And you see in scripture, whenever there is a moment of crisis or deep grief, usually people are praying and it goes hand in hand with fasting, right? A number of the, the examples that I use from scripture talk about that. And it's for the purpose of gaining spiritual power. Now, as we're talking about power, and, and, and the, the power of fasting, you know, with, with the demonic and all that stuff, your mind, if you're familiar with the New Testament, your mind might jump to the episode where Jesus rebukes his disciples. So Jesus, it's Matthew 17, he goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he comes down, and his disciples are having a hard time casting out a demon from this, this child who was having seizures that were, that were the result of a, a demonic affliction. And so they're, they're saying, you know, Jesus, why can't we cast it out? And you remember the famous words. He says, well, this kind will only come out by prayer and fasting, right? And so that's the bit that we most remember. But actually, his response 
doesn't begin there. Here's, where, here's what it says. O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And he heals the boy. And then when they say, why could we not cast it out? He says this, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So I want you to notice what's, what's happening here in that episode. Jesus is not linking the fasting to God doing something. He's linking the fasting to the disciples' lack of faith. Did you notice that? By fasting, Jesus is saying, that is how you can grow in the kind of faith that is able to move mountains. How does that work? And this is what so blew my mind. Fasting, what it's actually doing is it's starving the source of our unbelief. Because where does unbelief come from? Right? He's saying, the reason you couldn't cast it out is because you didn't believe. Faithless, twisted generation because of your lack of faith. Now, why don't we believe things? Your spirit has no problem believing the impossible. Your spirit... Is, is, if, you're, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit within you, you are communing with God in the heavenly places, your spirit has absolutely no problem believing the impossible. You know what does? This does. <laughs> this does. <laughs> this does, right? If you're listening on audio, that's head, heart, and stomach. It's your rationalizing it's your mind. It's your risk assessment. In other words, these are all parts of our soulishness. And so here's, here's, here's the mind-blowing kind of paradigm shift with regards to fasting. Fasting is not about getting God, you know, to do something for us. It's not about us getting in God's good books and then he's going to make something happen. It's about us aligning our spirits, our souls, and our bodies with God's will. It's about getting our bodies out of the way so that what our spirits want in God, in his will, can actually come to the surface so that we can have the kind of faith that our, our head and our heart and our, our bodily needs are constantly getting in the way of. So, fasting's not about getting God in our good books. It's about allowing us to trust him at a different level. And so this is why I'm excited to be practicing this with you all <laughs> beginning this week. Because I don't know about you, and we, we, we even heard one testimony this morning about uh, massive challenges in life where you really need to believe God because here's the thing, faith can only come, it can only kick into effect when you've reached the end of your own strength. If you're still in the realm where your own strength is able to achieve something, you actually don't need faith. You don't need it at all, right? It kicks in right at the point where you're actually beyond what you're able to make happen. That's where you're forced to trust God. And the reason that we struggle to trust him is because, like we said, our soul is getting in the way. And so 
I'm excited to be practicing this with you guys because I want to get my soul and my, my, my mind and all these things that are conflicted out of the way to trust God for the things that he wants to do right here among us, in my life, in your life, in our kids' lives, in our families' lives. I've got one or two family situations right now that I've been saying, I've been praying to God, God, I feel completely hopeless in how to make an impact on this situation. I don't have the words. I cannot get through to this person. I need to trust him. And I don't know what there is hap- what's happening in your life right now where <laughs> your own strength, your own ingenuity is not going to be enough where you need to trust God. And if you know that that's you and you know that you, you have to rely on God for whatever this is, then this is our opportunity. This is, I believe, what the Lord is inviting us into right now through this practice of fasting for us to grow in our trust and our faith in him right here, right now. And so I, I've, I've told this story before, but I, I have to testify to the one time where I saw this impact my life because anytime you go through grief or, or, or times of difficulty, I think fasting is almost a natural response. A lot of times you're not thinking about food. And I've, I've mentioned this before, but I have a, one of my best friends back in Battelle in the UK. His name was Wayne. And he, he, at my 18th birthday, we were supposed to go out and all of a sudden he disappeared. And he had left his family. He'd gone and he was intending to commit suicide by overdosing on drugs. And he had disappeared. There was no, no one knew where he was. The police were literally calling me as an 18-year-old, like grilling me as if I knew something. And there wasn't a lot of hope. There was nothing we could do because if he didn't want to be found, we weren't going to find him. And all I found myself doing, and this was in my, my A-level exams, which are your, you know, your final exams for high school that everything that you've worked on for four years rides on. And I instinctively went to the school library every day and fasted and just spent that time praying and asking God. The only thing I could say was, God, protect him. God, protect him. I didn't know what else to pray. God, protect him. And he did. And I remember a couple months after that, probably three or four months after that, by, through a completely miraculous circumstance, um, Someone that we knew, like a friend of a friend, happened to run into him in the city of London, which has about, you know, eight million people. Ran into him, and through a process, he was able to come home. And I remember the first time I saw him again, I gave him this big hug, and he said, Ian, I was trying to kill myself. And every time I kept waking up. And I, I knew that God had heard me, and, and, and that, that time of fasting for me had aligned me to believe that God really could protect him. There was nothing else I could do. And so, I don't know what impossible mountain is before you right now, whether it's a relationship or a situation or a health crisis in your life or whatever it is. I just believe the Lord wants to see a a new level of faith stirred up again, a new level of hunger to be in alignment with him together. Amen? And so our exercise for this week, 
um, is to pick one day and fast from sunup to, to, to sundown. Sunrise to sunset. To not eat food and focus yourself on Jesus. And so, like I've said with all these practices, start where you are. Not, you know, don't jump right to like commando Navy SEAL level fasting. <laughs> start where you are. <laughs> so if, if you can't conceive of, of spending 12 hours not eating, well, Fast lunch. That's all that my teenage self was able to conceive of. <laughs> Drink a lot of water. Do all the, all the smart stuff. And if you have any, I, I will say, if you have any kind of health condition that would prevent you from this, don't feel a, a, you know, a, a pressure or any kind of conviction on that. But maybe you can dedicate yourself more to, to prayer as well during this time. Or pick another thing to abstain from just in solidarity together as a community. And I want you to resist the urge to judge yourself through this as well. Don't, don't measure yourself on whether you're, you're good at this or not. Just offer yourself to Jesus. So why don't we, can we stand and just, just pray and, and, and close together? We sung those words, anything is possible. And Lord God, we, we, our spirits know that. Our spirits declare that this morning. That is our prayer And yet, Jesus, the truth is, our hearts sometimes don't believe it. Our minds certainly don't believe it. (laughs) And so, Jesus, as we we discipline ourselves through this, this ancient practice, Lord, this very thing that you did, come and meet us. Father, we seek the reward that is you and your heart and your will. Lord, would our mind and heart and will uh, be reduced, be made lower, so, Lord, that we could have more of your mind and your heart and your will, that we would be aligned to it in spirit, soul, and body. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us with a new faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.